You're listening to the West End Frame Show. Welcome to a bonus episode of the West End Frame Show. I'm your host, a West End Frame editor, Andrew Tomlins. And for today's little bonus episode, we have not one, but two guests coming your way. Coming up, I will be chatting to the writer and star of Atypical Rainbow, which is running at the Turbine Theatre. But First, Immersive Everywhere have brought Peaky Blinders, The Rise, to the Camden Garrison. So this is an immersive theatrical show that places audiences in the heart of one of the world's most popular TV series. Actor Craig Hamilton is taking on the role of Tommy Shelby, of course, originated by Killian Murphy in the TV show. And this actually isn't Craig's first immersive show. He was recently in Doctor Who Time Fracture and also The Great Gatsby for Immersive Everywhere. His credits also include Casino Royale for Secret Cinema, Jubilee at the Royal Exchange and Lyric Hammersmith and Tank at Battersea Arts Centre. And I'm so excited that he's joining me right now, live from rehearsals. Craig Hamilton, welcome to the West End Frame Show. Thank you very much. How are you doing? And also, can you paint the picture for us right now? Where, where are you talking to me from? I'm talking to you from Elephant and Castle, where we've been rehearsing for the last month. Um, we have two floors of a building, which uh, is helpful because there's lots that happens in the show at the same time. And uh, to share one rehearsal space with 17 actors all doing a scene would be hell. So we're spread out over the building. Um, yeah, we're going to tech next week. So today is a, yeah, just sweeping up some odds and ends and, and getting the last kind of bits ready for that. I hadn't even considered that ever in my life, the logistics of rehearsing an immersive show where there's stuff going on in these pockets. I'd never once thought, oh my gosh, how do they rehearse? That's insane. It's so complicated. It's, it, re- it really is. It, it's, I think it's fascinating. I mean, so much of this work, uh, immersive is quite a big umbrella term. And I think there's lots of, lots of work that kind of describes itself as that or, or is, is, you know, is described by that in, in, in press. And, and the, the range on that is huge, you know? Um, I think what we or, or this company certainly take to mean the word is, is an audience having a genuine effect and uh, ability to affect the outcome of the story uh, via, you know, revealing information to characters, convincing people to do things themselves, entering and, 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 and altering the course of, of the story. But what that means is that it's very difficult to rehearse a, a play where 280 of the cast aren't there. Um, so we step in for each other uh, and become each other's audience. Um, which is, is fine at a certain point in the process, but we're now at the stage where we're running things. So there's a lot of talking to the brick wall behind me, you know, uh, which is marvellous. They don't talk back. So, you know, I, I'm, right, I'm right at home. But I guess in a show like this, or, you know, like you've done like, Doctor Who type fracture and The Great Gatsby as well with Immersive Everywhere, until that first preview, you don't fully know what it's going to feel like. No, and I think there's a... 
I can't remember the name of the thing, but I, where where I studied at university, they like when they built it, they didn't they didn't put down they just there was a load of green fields and they didn't put down any like stone paving for the paths. They left it for uh, a year and then basically wherever people were walking was where they then built the stone pavings on top. And I do feel like immersive theatre is is, is that um, mm. you you have this kind of sense of story and sense of character and oh that's a really interesting choice to make the audience make and then you put it in front of the audience and you go oh they they they've done that in half the time or that's not as interesting as you think it is um you know Peaky Blinders is a massive story and it's it's a kind of a perfect time to be doing this show but even then there are people that are going to come and, and not know uh, as much about these characters as we do or indeed know loads more and then you just steal what they've said to you that's always the one you just let the audience kind of write the story for you so on that when this popped up how much did you know about Peaky Blinders what level were you coming into this at I had heard of it um, <laughs> I uh, am a big fan of Killian Murphy I think he's one of my favourite actors I saw him do a play at the National Theatre about 10 years ago called Mr. Man one man mm-hmm. show and a Walsh play and he was phenomenal and I've, I've loved all of his uh, a lot, well all of the films I've seen of his I, I think he's a phenomenal actor so I was aware of him Helen McCrory another like just one of the most gorgeous stage actors I've ever seen um, but I'd never seen an episode I'd never seen an episode until uh, January where Tom the director began to talk to me about it and I thought maybe you know due diligence I should watch it <laughs> Um, but I really loved it, you know, like it, it, it's of the ilk of like the really brilliant American TV shows that people fall in love with watching TV for, you know, like um, shows like The Wire and, and Game of Thrones and Breaking Bad. They're not for everyone, but they are kind of event television. Um, mm. and, and, and we've done that a little bit in Britain with, you know, The Bodyguard and The Responder. But I think Peaky Blinders really took it to another level in terms of how cinematic it felt um, and how it really did feel like, you know, I guess the extended universe, you know, there's a reason you see people with the haircut, I have, uh, and people wearing those caps because I think people really want to immerse themselves in, in that world. And it's why it feels such an appropriate title for this type of adaptation, you know, because it's a world that people, for, for, for warts and all, want to, you know, they want to live in the danger of it. Tell me you disagree, but what I think is so cool about a show and a project like this is that obviously millions of people watch Peaky Blinders. They know about it. They love it. They, When they see this name, they're like, oh, that sounds amazing. And actually, then they're going to see a really cool piece of theatre, which is totally different to the maybe more normal commercial shows that your average commercial audience member would go to. So they're having their eyes opened and I guess you're getting to surprise people and people are kind of taking a bit of a risk or doing something a little bit different. And I love that they get to have that experience with you. It's so cool. Yeah, I think it's. A, I think particularly with this show, I think the different types of audience that are going to come through is going to be a really interesting melting pot. You know, I think... Immersive theatre is now its own area of the industry where, uh, you know, I, I've worked, I didn't start doing immersive theatre at all and it was not, a, it was not a planned thing really, but I've kind of, over the last few years, it's, it's the work I've been making. It's your thing, yeah, it's your right, thing. And like, you kind of can work full time and it, it's a sector of the industry like musical theatre feels like in a way. Um, and so there are kind of fans that now come and see the immersive show because they want to see what the mechanics of that are, what the set, you know, the, the sets and the locations, I think are always a really amazing mm-hmm. surprise. What like, Rebecca, our designer, is just a phenomenal, the scale she works at uh, is incredible. Um, 
you've also got like Peaky Blinders fans. You've also, but like fans of the TV show, fans of the culture. You've got people that like want to kind of go on a night out that's a bit different. And, you know, like the, the stags and the Hindus, I'm sure will be lining up, uh, you know, uh, well, well, we'll think about them later, but. Brace yourself, brace yourself. <laughs> I know, I know. God, I, there's, there's a couple of, there's a couple of actors who maybe have a harder time of, uh, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll see, we'll see how G'd up people get. Um, but again, a discovery, but you know, I think it's, it's a real kind of melting pot of different audiences and I think again like as you kind of refer to it's, it's really hard to know how that's going to feel um Doctor mm. Who the show I did before this was in it it was kind of like a family immersive show which hasn't really happened on a big scale before you know immersive theatre generally is kind of associated with a uh well it's, it's there, there are there are reviewers uh in good national papers who kind of describe it as like getting a, a themed cocktail at, over a, over a bar which like you know a lot of the work does feel like that and there are people that want to come and see the show to be able to do that and i don't think i i, I don't criticize them for that you know i think that's that that's the choice that they make but um kind of that doctor who was it was a show that really kind of there was none of that kind of energy there and it was a real surprise um to kind of have audience members that you know, the worst thing that they did was not talk back to you, um, which is, uh, is, is a golden goose of an immersive audience. Um, so I think Peaky Blinders is, 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 the, is really excitingly the other end of that scale. Um, but we also don't know yet. So we're going we're gonna to find out by doing. And mate, when you, so when you went back and you started watching it, being a huge admirer of Killian, how were you taking that? Because obviously... There's that, I mean, everyone has this conversation with actors who are playing roles, you know, that people know you want to do your own thing, but you want to be influenced too much. But obviously, you, it's really interesting that you really admire him particularly. I think, I mean, yeah, I, I think I've, I've always admired Killian's, saying like I know him, never met him, um, but his, <laughs> his range, I think his range is really amazing. And actually, I've learned, I think I've learned as much about his Tommy Shelby from watching interviews with him and the way that he is as a, as a, as a person. Um, you know, that, that distance between him and the character, I think, is really helpful to Mark. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, fundamentally, this is like, unlike a... Um, there's only one version of this character that exists in people's mind. It's not like a... And even, even if it's just a book that's never been on stage before, there, there's a literary quality to a character where it's not, it's not totally known. You know, your, your, yeah. your imagination does a lot of the filling in the gaps. Peaky Blinders yeah. was, you know, there were a real small-time razor gang that Stephen Knight's parents used to work for. And he kind of transcribed these stories down and has put it into a, a TV show. There's no other form of these characters. And so there's no kind of reference point beyond them. And so as much as I don't think anyone wants necessarily to see an impression of Killian Murphy, although there's a lot in what he does as, a, as a, his interpretation of the character that I think is absolutely embedded in the character. I think there's a quality of voice, there's a pace, um, I'm wearing blue contacts. You know, like there are certain things that I think are super important to, uh, it's not about trying to do something different. I'm absolutely trying to honour what, what Killian Murphy's done with that part and, and, and take as much of that on as possible. I also think there's, yeah, a, yeah. There's, a, there's a thing about adapting it from screen to immersive stage that, uh, you know, I can't talk at a certain volume. And there are, you know, there, there are, you say something really cool and like that's an end of a conversation. Wow, what a good line. And then an audience comes back at you with something. You know, there isn't that level of control either. So I think there are some, there are some elements that come with the territory that, that mean that 
there are some natural adaptations, but yeah, I mean, Killian Murphy and what he, it's, it's a phenomenal performance. I think he, he's yeah. an incredible actor. And so why, why wouldn't you use as much of that as, uh, as possible? I'm excited. Yeah. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. So listen, everybody needs to come down. Peaky Blinders, the rise at the Camden Garrison, right, from the 24th of June. <gasps> Good luck. I hope it goes well. Thank you very much. Thank you much. so much for talking to me, yeah, Craig. Um, I'm sending you my very best. Thank you. Thanks again to Craig. I am so intrigued by Peaky Blinders. It sounds incredible. Um, next up, it's time to talk about a totally different show. Aria Entertainment are presenting the world premiere of a new play by JJ Green called Atypical Rainbow, which is running at the Turbine Theatre from the end of this month through to August. The show is based on real events from the perspective of JJ and the autistic community. It's described as an uplifting play about the experience of growing up neutrodivergent and queer in the early 2000s. So JJ is out here doing incredible things. He's an actor, writer and theatre consultant. Most recently he performed in Perspective for the National Theatre. He went on to consult for Equity in the UK and authored the Equity Standard Guide on Neurodivergence in the Arts, which was distributed across the industry. Oh my gosh, we have so much to discuss. I'm so pleased that he's here right now, joining me live from the Turbine Theatre. JJ Green, welcome to the West End Frame Show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Not at all. What What's going on right now? What stage are you at? What gear is your brain in? Uh, my brain's doing good. We're in rehearsals. Uh, we're doing this in the foyer of the Turbine Theatre. So yeah, like everything's going really, really well. Um, hectic, but great. Thank you. Everything's good. And how is rehearsal going? What's happening? Rehearsals, it's going really, really well. I mean, there is a lot to do. Um, and I hate the writer. But <laughs> so, you know, that's the thing with it, isn't it? You write your own play and then you think, oh, God, what have I done? Uh, but no, it's going brilliantly, so brilliantly. Um, everyone's so on top of it. Everything's really good. Uh, it's just a, a, like a lot to take on, but a good a good lot, you know? A yeah, good yeah, lot. Yeah. Engaging is the word I'm going to use. Engaging. <laughs> but do you start to have a bit of an identity crisis? Because I guess you have the writer part of you and you have the actor part of you. And do they kind of do you have to switch roles and focus now on the acting part? Well, I'm really lucky. Like, I've got a fantastic creative team, and I think that everybody who's with us shares the same kind of vision for it that it was written with. Um, Brona Lagan, who's directing it. We've got Max Alexander-Taylor doing sound. William Spencer is doing choreography, and everyone's kind of on the same page. So it's really nice to be able to hand that off to creatives. And also that they, they're also bringing so much of their own vision to it, which is wonderful, which is really, really lovely to see. Mm -mm -mm. So let's rewind, because I was just reading... Uh about this show, Atypical Rainbow. And um, you wrote this for various reasons, but it sounds like it's like the first time essentially for like this story is being told from your point of view. So can you kind of paint the picture and describe to me why you set out to write this piece? Well, I think that talking about autism 
and neurodivergence in the mainstream is incredibly important. And I think it's incredibly important that we do that from a first-person perspective of the communities that actually experience those things. Um, there are other autistic playwriters who've written about things that are similar. Um, I think that this is one of the first times that on sort of a large off-West End commercial level, um, a play about autism written by an autistic writer um, is coming to is, is coming on stage. Um, it's also a play that includes queer narratives, which I also think is another unique element to it. Um, we have disabled stories. We have um, queer stories. It's quite rare to get queer disabled stories. Um, so, so that's something that I'm really excited about bringing forward. Um, it's going incredibly well. It's incredibly important to tell these kind of perspectives. And even though they are niche, they're still commercial and I'm incredibly grateful to Katie Lipson and Aria Entertainments for giving me that opportunity to have the platform to be able to put on something that is reflective of minority groups and intersectional groups but um, is still going on in, in such a wonderful space uh, mm. for such a long time so I'm incredibly incredibly happy about that. Mm. It's incredible because I think we are so much more aware now about representation and about inclusivity and I think a lot of people feel like we've made progress in various areas, which we have. There's still so many minorities that aren't represented on yeah, stages think, in London. I think there's so, so, so far to go. Uh, one of the things that I find most interesting about this piece is whenever autism has been written about before, it's always been written about by neurotypical people, kind of on the whole, when you think of plays about autism. Yeah, those ones have all been sort of written by neurotypical people certainly on the big commercial standards as I said that there have been other ones that have not been quite as large and commercial but um, what's interesting to me is that this time I've kind of subverted that narrative I've written about a lot of neurotypical people but through my perspective um, so instead of an autistic mother writing about what it must be like to have an autistic child we're going the other way and in that I'm the autistic child writing about what it's like to have a neurotypical mother um, <laughs> and putting those words in their mouth uh from our perspective instead of the other way around uh which is i think quite unique um and i've had real fun with that um as well as writing about things and kind of pointing out the bizarre way that this world works uh in a way that i think even neurotypical audiences are going to be able to relate to um there's a lot of funny elements to the show there's a lot of calling out things that people say and metaphors and like you know different people pieces of language that just don't make any sense we have a whole scene around the, the phrase raining cats and dogs um and how that makes no sense and how that um and and what it's like when people say the word maybe and they don't imply certainty and how that reads to an autistic brain and things like that so it's it's really fun uh it's it's incredibly comical in some places but we do dive into some much darker topic matter as well um it's it's all based on things that have really happened it's based on the way that i grew up um and other influences from the autistic community as well um and it's it's really hard in places but it's also really light in places and funny and it's i'm looking forward to it massively it's going to be incredibly interesting to see the reception that we get it's going to be, it sounds like it's going to be a journey. It's going to be a journey to watch. It, yeah, I, I hope so. I hope so. That's kind of what I want to give people. I want to give people a unique story. And I think that we're achieving that. Um, and I'm incredibly, incredibly excited about it. Incredibly sore, incredibly tired, but incredibly excited all the same. It's all going to be worth it. It will all be worth it. Can it really you kind will. Of, can you set up the premise of the story? Don't give stuff away, but where do we 
meet these characters yeah. at the start of the piece. So the story is about a autistic boy growing up in the 90s through to 2020. Uh, it looks into therapies that autistic children have uh, or had back in the 90s. Um, and I play sort of three characters in a very bizarre way. I play the child that goes through the story, but I also play a kind of narrator of that there's a lot of breakaways from the story which is where most of the comedy comes from uh and then the third one i'm kind of going to leave as to as to what that is but um but that's what it's about it's sort of a, a journey through that and then kind of comes to a point that uh, i think a lot of people will be able to relate to that basically says this is why i wrote this play and i i, I wrote it because something happened that uh, I think that everybody is well aware of that suddenly showed me how one little thing changing or one big thing changing, everyone starts to struggle with communication and contact and all sorts of things. And I think that there's some good metaphors going on in it at the end. Ah, look at you planting the seeds, giving us information, not telling us too much, making us want to buy tickets. You have this whole PR world sussed. <laughs> yeah, um, it's really fun. We dive into imaginary worlds a lot. The, the child that I play has a very vivid imagination. And so we bring those imagination sequences to life. Um, and, and that's really, really, really fun to play with. It's, it's largely inspired by... Alice in Wonderland, Peter Pan. We make wow. a lot of literary references to Narnia, the works of C.S. Lewis, Lemony Snicket's A Series of Unfortunate Events. All of these kind of worlds are, are built into it and it's in, inspired by. So I'm, I'm incredibly excited and nervous. It's very, very whimsical in places, but also very realistic and hard-hitting in others. And what was the timescale? When did you put pen to paper... And start working on this. Pen to paper happened. I did not tell anybody that I was autistic until I was 25. Um, and pen to paper wow. happened. Yeah, yeah. I was I was terrified. I, I was absolutely terrified. I was raised and, and, and brought up in a way that, that was, uh, this is kind of a thing we don't talk about. And that was encouraged by doctors and therapists and stuff. It was Can kind I ask, of... When you found out that you were autistic? Five. Wow, gosh um yeah so t uh, 20 years 20 years later um and i was encouraged by doctors and all and, and everyone that ever dealt with me as a child to not because you are one of the autistic people that can get away with it as long as you follow these strict codes and rules then no one's ever going to know and your life's going to be so much easier but you've got this giant harboring secret and there's a lot about that in the play as well and about what's wrong with it why uh, but i grew up with a lot of fear which i think um a lot of queer people will be able to relate to as well. The fear of talking about who you actually are. Mm. Um, and, and that all links in with it as well. And yeah, so then I, I started writing it during the pandemic. Um, and that was when I came out as autistic, when nobody could get at me. Uh, because I, I thought, well, now is the time. Because if it goes terribly wrong and people walk out of your life there and, and treat you in the way that you're you're fearing that they might um you don't have to turn up at work tomorrow you don't have to go to a social event the next week and and and, and have to discuss it with anybody you're mm. you're you've got a while um and it went exactly as i anticipated it would 50 percent of my friend group was really positive and then the other 50 percent i never heard from again but that's fine because oh i've got an off gosh. west end play and they yeah. haven't <laughs> When they slide into your DMs asking for a free ticket or that discount code, you could say, here's the link no. to the box office. Yeah. 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 You could pay full price. 
Yeah. So, uh, so that's that's kind of where it came from, um, and also because I knew that we had big mainstream stuff about autism. We've got loads. We've got Rain Man. We've got all sorts of different things in film. We've got The Good Doctor, Atypical is on Netflix. And the running theme with all of them, written by neurotypical people, about autistic people, There's, mm. and played by neurotypical people. And I was like, nah, no more of yeah. this. Yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. But it's interesting what you say. You're totally right about how it sounds like queer people will be able to relate to that side of hiding, a side of who you are, and that sort of personality. And obviously, as you say, queerness is brought into this story and explored as well so it's almost like a double-edged yeah, thing absolutely. it's like coming out twice almost right absolutely as a as a queer person and as an autistic person um it was it's really fascinating to me as an adult i, I understand how hard it is growing up queer um and i and i understand how hard it is growing up autistic but like you say i did have to come out twice and coming out as queer was so much easier and so when i talk to people mm. about queer trauma it's like uh, like it's like oh so that was your version of my autistic trauma I guess um, and it's no, neither one of them is worse than the other but you know it's it's really interesting how I was so caught up in that that I barely even noticed my queer trauma and I didn't have time for that that's the next play we'll write about that <laughs> later um, yeah um, but no it's 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 really intersectional it's it's really interesting I think to look at this because it it changes. The narrative completely to make it about a, a young boy who grows up gay it's all about society it's about how society perceives the way that men are supposed to behave there's a lot of one of the scenes he reads a book and taking everything literally trying to learn human behavior um he reads a satirical book about how to behave like a man and does all these different characters and personas that he believes how men should behave because that's what he's been watching on like a lynx africa advert um oh. And so there's a lot of good little stabs at the yeah, way the world so works in, in here as well, but done comically. Done yeah, comically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Relatable, thought-provoking, interesting. We're almost out of time, but tell me about this company because you have Caroline playing your mother, West End legend. You have I do. So I do. many great people in this company. Are you loving it? Yeah, I'm incredibly lucky. Caroline is playing my mother and it's absolutely fantastic to have her. Um, she understands and she brings so much to that role. There's, there's so much empathy and understanding there. Um, it, it's fantastic. The rest of the company are amazing. Um, I'm having such a good time. The, the creative team could not be better bringing this vision to stage. Everyone is so lovely. Um, we're a whole diverse team of neurodivergent it, it, it's great it's it's a really empowering experience to be with such wonderful people we've got you know a whole mix of everyone and everyone's all striving towards the right thing and getting along so beautifully it's it's a lovely lovely experience to be having brilliant oh my gosh you've sold it you have so sold it jj good, good i'm glad luck. i really love to i'd love everyone <laughs> to come <laughs> so everyone needs to go it's good atypical rainbow you're at the turbine theater 30th of june through to the 7th of august right that's absolutely right previews from the 30th yeah brilliant and everyone should know that the turbine theater is gorgeous you've got great places to eat collect southern the dream it's beautiful around there i can actually see some of it in the background of it's the lovely right it's now. really really lovely it's it's a beautiful beautiful venue yeah you've got a megan's around the corner everything is there it is yeah brilliant. um listen good luck and thank you so much for chatting to me total pleasure thank you so much for having me it's been wonderful thank you
Thanks again so much to Craig and JJ. Such a pleasure to speak to them both and to have them with me for this special bonus episode of the West End Frame Show. Thanks so much for tuning in. Thanks so much for listening. Your support always means the world. Don't forget, if you're enjoying this season of the West End Frame Show, you can leave us a cheeky little Apple Podcast rating and review. We love hearing from you, so follow West End Frame on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. You can check out our interviews podcast in the frame and I'll be back next week for another stagey catch up. <laughs>